Welcome to the e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives, a podcast by Noibu, where we explore the elite strategies and cutting edge insights with our expert guests. Get ready to propel your e-commerce business to the next level. Welcome to the e-commerce toolbox, Expert's Perspective. Joining us today, we have a product expert in Druv. Welcome, Druv. We're really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Awesome. So just to preface, Druv has worked at some very large companies like Wish, Walmart, and a few others in between. But for my first question today, I always like to learn how leaders and experts in their field became to be the experts in their field. So maybe talk to us a bit about your background and how you kind of grew up in the marketplace e-com space. Gillian, first of all, thank you for having me. Just a huge fan of your product you're building and the company you're driving. So just back by way of background, I grew up with engineering roots, right? Went to computer science, computer engineering background, aiming always to become a software developer. And along the way, I kind of saw the business join a company that was making software with chips that was sort of our pre-MBA world. And along the way, so I'm sort of the value that when you drive business magic with software, so when come MBA along the way, the complete 180 business development strategy for places like Google, I think it's a function of where you end up and the impact it has at Google, Google is a product-centered place. I saw the kind of value could bring best deals, but like the real impact was product and engineering. And so kind of found my way into product and eventually product leadership. I think one theme that is kind of consistent throughout my career has been this like, theme around optimization, creating efficiency, creating leverage. And that's been either through chips, which was all about like compacting more in lesser area, driving chips faster, or doing business development, like how do you create leverage for organizations that help product scale, or with products that can create more reduced friction and pack more punch for delighting customers. That's been kind of the consistent theme that I've worked at, at Walmart, cumulatively around 11 marketplaces. A lot of the stripes I got, I would say, in e-commerce has been in during my time at Walmart Labs, uh, which was at that time scaling, adding almost 3 million SKUs every month. And I was leading some of the search and discovery efforts. So that created a huge search and discovery challenge. And that was kind of where I would say my e-commerce stripes, where I was initially leading the P2B side of search and eventually leading the consumer side of search and discovery as well, search, discovery, personalization. That led me to Mercari, which was a Japanese e-commerce Behemoth entering the US markets, where I was leading both the listing side as well as the consumer side. And then eventually, most recently at Wish, I was leading all of consumer experience and growth, right? So that's kind of been my journey in e-commerce space. Again, as I said, 11 marketplaces, been on all flavors, B2B, B2C, B2B2C, C2C, and everything in between. While I've been there in the industry for about 20 years, I think it's also a very exciting time with all the stuff happening in Gen AI, which I know we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you just mentioned it and prefaced it. AI is kind of one of those platform shifts and super exciting developments. In your opinion, obviously, having been at Walmart Labs and seeing these kind of big companies like these wishes where AI is, that's necessarily new for them, maybe at this scale or at the speed of innovation, but it's things they've been thinking about for a while, having a ton of data. Maybe talk to us a bit about how you think AI can actually start to disrupt and which ways it could enhance work for these e-com brands coming up in 2024? Great question. So as you said, AI is not new. And by the way, especially it's not new for the industry. It was happening in more traditional ways for longest time. It's just the lot, places like search, places like fraud detection, places like recommendations. I think a lot of those were areas that was where 
AI was certainly playing a part. And even companies that were maybe not as ahead of the curve as Walmart Labs and Amazon and others, they were still leveraging third-party tools that were trying to do some version of AI to help them out. Like I've personally used search tools out of the box. And a lot of what is new is the generative AI aspect of it, which is disrupting a lot of operational processes that have historically taken a lot longer. And I think all the buzz that's around which OpenAI through its magic that it created has been able to create, I think that has created opportunities to enhance productivity, reduce operational tasks, and so forth, right? So it's funny you mentioned that I was actually been in the process of writing a blog, which I'll share in a few weeks around tech prediction that's at the start of the year. So uh, writing uh, tech predictions. I just think generally across the entire, if you look at sort of the entire framework for how you think about like e-commerce, there is operational efficiencies across the board, right? From thinking from all the way from growth to funnel optimization to post-purchase experience to item setup and operate and associated logistics, there is operational efficiencies to be had. And that's what's I think really exciting at this time and moment, right? I'm happy to go into detail in any of those if needed, but I think that's what makes me very excited about it. It feels like 1996 all over again when internet was just coming on board. That's the moment I feel like we're in right now. And I just think that there's a lot of disruption to be had and a lot of companies that were previously unable to access that AI to help streamline, uh, make them efficient, are now going to be able to suddenly find ways in which they can do so a lot easier. So anyway, happy to go more in detail. So hopefully this helps. That's great. That's exactly where I wanted to kind of take the next question was, well, there's two things I think you touched on. The first thing is a lot of large retailers, like one of the most famous books I read Power of Habit talks about how Target really kind of led with these large data models with predictive analytics. And they talk about a story where there was a girl who lived at home and her parents didn't know she was pregnant. They started sending pregnancy coupons because they knew based on her purchases that she was high likelihood of pregnancy. And the parents got really mad at Target, but it talked about kind of the power of data. And I think that's now been democratized, like you'd mentioned, for businesses that can actually now leverage that type of data and information to do more targeted ads and things to drive revenue or decrease kind of expenditures. Makes a ton of sense. What I'm really interested in to drive on, which is a bit more technical and a bit more kind of in the weeds, is you'd mentioned, yeah, it feels a lot like 1996. And I think right now, if you're a head of product or the head of technology at an e-com brand and you don't have AI on your roadmap, that's probably going to raise some eyebrows. Now, people are probably wondering, how do you actually get it into your roadmap without just kind of putting it in there? So I'm curious, do you, can you share a bit about maybe a framework or how you look at evaluating leveraging AI operationally into the different flows or the different parts of e-com? I think that's something that would be really valuable for everyone to hear. Yeah, totally. So I'm happy to answer that question, but I think you've touched on something which really spoke to me in a very meaningful way. So I'll like do a slight detour and then get back to the framework that I mentioned. You mentioned data, access to data, access to in data, so just side detour, right? Remember, I was telling you about like how when I was at Walmart, we were adding. I joined Walmart, but they just recently acquired this company called Cosmix, which was basically the search engine which they started to use for powering their primarily putting first party online and trying to use Cosmix as a search engine to make that searchable. But around the same time, like as you know, e-commerce is a game of scale and choice, and so they started really onboarding three million SKUs a month, and really now they're in like. Two, three hundred millions of SKUs. So for the at that time they were adding, they're really scaling up the adding of all these SKUs in a huge way monthly. 
that led to a lot of dirty data and that led to search discovery browse being completely off with regard to what you were searching for. And so a lot of our efforts during that time went on cleaning data, organizing data, managing data. And I think that whole effort to get search to operate better because you need to get better cleaner data was a Herculean task. It would year, year and a half to like lead to what we call entity search and that like change the way search was behaving in a meaningful way. I think like a lot of like what we did at that time, right? Again, that was Walmart Labs because almost two years to kind of go do that. Then I came to Mercari, right? Mercari was a slightly different challenge, slightly related. Mercari was C to C, consumer to consumer. We didn't have merchants uploading information. We didn't have metadata. There's only so much you can ask consumers like you and I on what you're trying to sell. And we didn't have like good metadata, but like that, perfecting. So that created all kinds of search and discovery and personalization challenges in making a lot of that happen. So making all those items discoverable. And so what we did was we built all kinds of models to create supplements to data and then make search and discovery happen despite our challenges that we had in appending those data sets. At Walmart, that was a clear process that took about a year, year and a half at Mercari. And most recently at Wish, I'll just give you a slight example. Wish was not known for search and discovery. Wish was known for discovery, not necessarily a lot for search. Search was not primary mode of mechanism. At Wish, we were able to make inroads into search and start to make a meaningful dent in a matter of weeks. And this is all in the Gen AI era, but doing things like really appending structured data, really appending our taxonomy, organizing our head queries, torso and tail, a lot of that can be done more efficiently, much quicker through Gen AI. So it was just to give you an example of timelines that it takes to make things happen. Again, we didn't have the as big an index as like Walmart had or as Mercari had, but the point is that we do things more efficiently, much faster. So coming back to your question around frameworks, right? If you think about any business, any e-commerce, any marketplace, I think of four loops of how you think about growing the business. Number one, you have the growth loop, right? Like you have to do things to bring customers back, attract new customers, keep getting them back into the funnel, right? So there's a whole list of activities that need to come to make that happen, whether it's SEO, whether it's email marketing, whether it's creating ads, whether it's push notifications, whether it's creating loyalty programs. So that's number one. Number two, you have the purchase funnel, right? You've got the discovery loop, which stands at the tip of it. So you produce search or you allow for browsing or personalization or all the way from getting to an item page where you kind of see and discover what you're looking for. Maybe you don't want this, maybe you want some other things that go with it and then go all the way through checkout, right? That's pretty standard. Again, also there's parallels of this in the offline world as well. So this isn't just all about like the online world. So the discovery loop. Then there is what you call the post-purchase loop, right? Things like activities like support happen, or fulfillment happen, other things happen to help the customer after their purchase journey, maybe asking them for reviews and so forth. And then finally, there's a fourth loop, which is around merchant setup and logistics. So this is all about like the merchant centers of the world, the logistics, what it takes to interface with the supply, demand prediction. This is pretty standard, right? This happens in every organization in different flavors, right? I'm just generalizing this. But these are kind of how you think about any e-commerce or retail business or market-based business as such, right? There's a lot of jobs to be done in each of these loops. And what I'm kind of very excited about with Gen AI is, I just gave you one example from a time at Mercari and Walmart. All these jobs that if you kind of click down they can all be made more efficient, right? While Gen AI may not replace them, 
there is ways in which they can drive a lot of efficiencies in each of those jobs. But I think like those are what I get me really excited. And that's why I think it's a 1996 moment, because if you're a savvy business leader, product leader in e-commerce marketplaces, you're kind of looking at your entire stack of all your activities and saying, this is what they call zero organization moment, where you're kind of looking back and saying, where can I drive off with efficiencies? I need to like maybe undo a lot of how I looked at my business, but really rethink how I can do this more efficiently. And I think there is a lot of disruption here to be happening in a good way. They create a lot of value to the customer. Which one do you think is the most important or the one that you think has the most opportunity in terms of those jobs to be done and those workflows? Yeah, so before I answer that question, I'll sort of just share how I think about it, right? So if you think about creating value, there is only two ways as I think about an e-commerce business. There is, you can either do activities to drive revenue increase, where a lot of what tends to happen, where in my view, the biggest tends to be in the growth bucket, right? We know it's 2024, ROAS is still pretty high. Growth is really expensive for a lot of organizations. And people are struggling to like get new customers in the door. And if you can retain an existing customer, that a lot of times 90% spent towards finding new customers, 10% towards existing customers. But if you can retain an existing customer and help them stay longer and spend more money, will lead to revenue increase. And therefore, there's an opportunity. So if I think about like where the biggest opportunity is, it's either revenue increase or cost decrease. So we'll talk about cost decrease next. But revenue increase, I think they're the, one of the biggest opportunity for a lot of organizations is to make be more efficient with growth, be more efficient with how they spend money with acquiring customers, retaining customers. So there's a whole bucket of activities there, which we can talk about, right? Like things around AI generated marketing. I also think like brand marketing will come back in a big, huge way in 2024. The pendulum is going to start to swing back in some of its favor to this year, but there's a big opportunity in bucket around growth. The second is, as I said, cost decrease, right? So you think about like, how the costs happen. There is engineering costs, there is operational costs, there is logistics costs, there is all kinds of costs that an e-commerce and retail business has to have if you think about other loops of their business, right? And while there, there is opportunities across the board, right? I personally spend a lot of time in search discovery browse, so I happen to know that better. But I do think like some of the biggest areas is all this operational work. I saw this firsthand at Walmart that happens where they're predicting almost one year in advance what might be the trends for next year and making bets on holding inventory, sending their suppliers at product lists so that they can have adequate in stock or have them ready in order to fulfill those one year from then. These activities have occur in almost one year intervals, right? Like, and so I think, and different organizations do it differently, but the point is that there's a lot of time and effort that's spent on this. I think there's a big, and if you think about from a cost point of view, that tends to cost organizations a huge, huge amount. There's a big amount of cost efficiencies here to be had with Gen AI. If you kind of get the right data sets and sort of join them and be more smart about how you're predicting demand, there's a lot of efficiencies here to be had, right? So I think like, again, as I said, two things, revenue increases in the growth marketing side, the cost decrease is in the operational efficiencies that to be had. Those are kind of the two ways in which I think about this. Makes a lot of sense. And I really want to take a hard pivot here. We talked a lot about what AI can help with. I guess my next question is, what do you think can't be replicated by AI? What areas of expertise or creativity do you think just basically can't be replicated, at least not in the short term? Great question. I think there's a lot of bots right now in the market that they will take up their jobs and so forth. I didn't be in the camp where I think technology excites me and technology 
can change things, but it will not replace humans. Humans are can make us more efficient. And that's kind of how I think about AI. And I've spent a lot of my time in my career in the product world, so I can maybe speak from a product-product leadership point of view. Best product managers, in my view, exercise judgment. They look at KPIs and decide what are the business decisions to be made, what are the implications of those decisions that cannot be replaced. I think those are the people that cannot actually be replaced, right? In contrast, there is what Martin Kagan calls the process-oriented, the non-empowered product manager who saw their job primarily as getting roadmaps designed, built, delivered. They saw their job as an administrative role of just creating the backlog. A lot of those jobs can actually be done in a more efficient way with AI. And I think like if you're a product manager, in my view, on an empowered product team, your role is likely to become even more critical with the help of AI. Use AI to supercharge yourself and do a lot more that you could do previously that you could not. And so as I look at the entire e-commerce organization, I think there is opportunities for everyone in the stack. People who are doing higher order work will actually become more efficient. People who are maybe doing administrative work or lower order work they're right for disruption. Then again, there are some operational work that just stays, right? Like, for example, if you're involved with cleaning or driving or certain things like which AI yeah, is not yet replaced completely, not yet. I think like those things remain, right? So I think like it's just going to be a shift. And if I was a employee at one of these e-commerce companies, I would be looking hard at like my skill sets and how I'm adding value to my organizations and thinking of how I can be doing higher order judgment work, which of course, you're not going to be disruptive if you're in, in that sitting in that space. Awesome, Drew. Well, as we look to wrap this up, one final question here, obviously a great conversation so far. As we reflect further on the conversation, could you maybe share a piece of advice or forward-looking thought for emerging leaders in the e-com space and kind of what they should be focusing on in the upcoming years? Totally. So as I said earlier in this chat, I feel like it's a very exciting time in e-commerce. And to live in that 1996 moment, I would say a lot of e-commerce leaders, I would encourage them to relook at their entire business and look at like opportunities, ways in which they can help their business more and take advantage of some of the technologies that are becoming available. So you think about the business, you're neither, as I said earlier, neither like that revenue increase or cost decrease. If they're looking at some of their marketing growth drivers, they can really take that on spanner and really look at how they've been doing it. And they look at like different kind of customer lists that they can join with their existing marketing programs and make it more efficient to potentially target customers in a more meaningful way. And they change how your marketing messages to some of your customers to kind of take a more targeted approach of how you can get customers back based on actions that they've done on the site, right? So there's a lot of efficiencies there to be higher on revenue increase. And again, same thing would happen across the entire operations, looking at supply chain, looking at items that need to be made available for their customers or changing customer patterns and so forth, right? So I would encourage e-commerce leaders to take really a first principle approach as we're looking at living in a very exciting time and look at the entire value chain of all their different jobs that they're doing and don't be hung up based on how they were done before, but actually encourage them if they can take a zero-based approach to really rethink how this can be done in a more efficient way. And that's why I'm really bullish how technology can really blend and help e-commerce in a meaningful way in 2024. It's going to be an exciting year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for blessing us with your wisdom. And we're really excited to see the next part of your career and next part of your journey as well. So yeah, I uh, really enjoy the conversation and thank you so much. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. 
The e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives, is brought to you by Noibu. To find out more about Noibu and how we can help you debug your e-commerce site and rocket your revenue, visit www.noibu.com. That's N-O-I-B-U.com. And then make sure to search for the e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Noibu, thanks for listening.